Go out of your way to build relationships with people within the org. No one really knows what's going on or why you're doing what you're doing if you don't go out and have a conversation with the head of sales or talk to the RevOps person. So build those relationships. That way you can understand what they are looking for out of social and you can tie that back to what they expect. Same thing with your direct manager. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, joining me is Tommy Clark, a B2B marketer, now agency owner, founder at Clark Media. He helps B2B companies grow on social. He really cut his teeth at Triple Whale. Then he started the Social Files newsletter, which is all about B2B social media, and now has his own agency up and running. So awesome conversation, especially for anybody who's thinking about making the jump from their career, job, working in marketing to starting their own agency. I really enjoyed this one and I hope you do too. Now, before we get into it, this show is put on by Cave. We're an agency in LA that helps brands with things like performance, creative, paid media management, social strategy, etc. If you need help with any of that, run over to cavesocial.com and we'd love to help you out. All right, now let's sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Tommy, what's going on? Welcome to the show. What's going on, Jordan? Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on and talk uh, all things B2B social. You got a lot going on. And I want to hop right in for the listener who is working B2B, let's say at a software company, hypothetically, they're having trouble quantifying their value with inside the org, right? Executives are going like, all right, well, how does this help us? What's the ROI? You know, all of these questions are, I want to spend a dollar and make a dollar ten. All of the stuff that we've all heard if we worked inside an org, how do you advise, you know, that person without knowing too much to really go about quantifying social for B2B? That's a great question. I think it's something that's not talked about enough by social media managers and by marketers. And we were talking before we went on air, it's like it's really easy to get caught up in the the state of like, oh, we're just going to have fun and make creative content. And that's great. You should absolutely do that. But you need to be able to quantify those results. I think first and foremost, in an ideal world, you're driving demos or sales calls through social. It's very possible. It's a little bit less predictable. It's not like paid media where you can just turn it on and ideally you start to see bookings come in. Uh, Organic's a bit more, there's a lot more ebbs and flows there, but it is very possible to book demos and book sales calls through organic social. Like we just kicked off with a client about a week and a half ago and caught up with them today. And they were mentioning how they were booking a demo a day from social. And that was super cool to see. That's not always going to happen. That's kind of a best case scenario, but it's very possible. Now, if you're not in that situation, or maybe you're literally just starting from scratch and you have to build that momentum up, I think then it becomes about tying the social media metrics back to revenue in some way. So when you look at each of the social metrics, whether it be follower growth, impressions, engagement rate, you can tell that narrative in a way that ties back to revenue. So if impressions are trending up over time, assuming you're not putting out completely irrelevant content, if impressions are going up, you can assume that your content is getting in front of more people that are potentially going to buy at some point. So maybe they're not booking today or tomorrow, but a week from now or a month from now or six months from now when they decide they're in the market for your type of product, your company has a better chance of being top of mind because they're seeing your stuff. Same thing with follower growth. If you're seeing that a lot of your followers are coming from within your ICP, so ideal customer profile, you can tie that back to business results because again, you're getting in front of more people that are going to potentially buy at some point. Same thing with engagement rate. You can go down literally every social metric and tie it back to 
a business outcome in some way. One of the best skills that you can get good at as a marketer is like crafting that narrative. This goes for getting resources with social and also getting promoted like within your company. I think the other thing I would recommend is go out of your way to build relationships with people within the org. This is something that early on I fell into the trap of. It was like kind of just being in my corner, like my hood off my laptop and just like crushing social content. And it's going really great, but no one really knows what's going on or why you're doing what you're doing if you don't go out and have a conversation with the head of sales or talk to the RevOps person. So build those relationships. That way you can understand what they are looking for out of social and you can tie that back to what they expect. Same thing with your direct manager. So that's where I would start. I know I kind of went on a, a tangent there, but happy to dive into any of those deeper. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think it's having some metrics that are clearly established before it comes to review time. So whatever that may be, and it could be Okay, we're going to look at, like you said, impressions. We're going to look at, hey, like LinkedIn, when we post a job, what's our average amount of candidates? Has that increased on that job post, for instance? You know, a big part of that isn't social. Or even looking at like branded search, go talk to your SEO team and say, what's going on with branded search in relation to our activity? And just kind of as long as, you know, everyone's rowing in the same direction, I feel that that's going to set up for way more success. And like you said, I love this going around and, and getting relationships and creating those because if you don't, if you're in the corner, you know, doing some trending dance, the company has a down quarter, like you're the first to go. And yeah. it's, next thing you know, if the executive team's like, yeah, we'll just put it on the receptionist desk, they're going to do social now. And it's like really, really giving yourself some protection or body armor against that is goes into yeah. crafting the narrative. So I love that. Yeah, for sure. I think one other thing too that I forgot to mention was you can also transition from social and not directly to a purchase, but to a channel that's a little bit closer to a purchase. So like getting them from consuming your social content to signing up for your newsletter or listening to your podcast, you're going from that really top of funnel content to maybe still not booking a demo or a sales call or, or buying, but now they're listening to your founder or CMO on a podcast for an hour straight. That's going to build a deeper relationship and they're probably going to buy at some point, or at least if they end up needing like an attribution software or whatever, whatever tool you provide, your company is going to be at the top of their mind because they've spent all that time listening to you. So if you can move them from social to an owned or at least longer form channel, whether it be podcast, email, YouTube, I think that's also a way that you can prove social's value. Yeah, deepening the connection. I, I like this too, is like not everything doesn't have to be a sale. You could run a quiz and the sole purpose of running this, hey, go take your quiz on what type of whatever accountant are you? And all you're trying to do is get first party data to remarket to later. And it's yeah. like, okay, that's what we're going by as our metric of success. Can we push this quiz? It's fun, but we are now getting first party data. Great, awesome, and align and move forward. That's really important too. Instead of thinking of this linear, I post, they click, they buy, particularly in B2B. It never happens that way. We're talking sometimes about, you know, six and seven figure software agreements. It's like, that's just not, it's not a t-shirt that's going to come across and someone's going to click buy. (laughs) Yeah, no one's seeing a Facebook ad and going and committing to a a year long, like six figure contract. That's just, Exactly. Not, it's just not how it works. <laughs> I wish yeah. I'd start that business. Yeah, right. How do I get in on that? Cool. Well, in this all, right, you started, so you're at Triple Whale, then you started Social Files, a newsletter. What made you say, I'm going to start a newsletter? How did that come about? Because I feel like you got into it before what I would call now like the great newsletter bubble. So what was the thing that got that going? I mean, I've been writing long form content, whether it be newsletters or blogs and like marketing for 
probably three or four years now. So even before social files was officially a thing and got picked up by Workweek, I had been writing that. So there were sort of a few different iterations of that. And then I sort of landed on social media and marketing. And I started social files proper back in 2022. So I think I launched, I got the triple whale job and then I launched social files and then through a friend of mine who also writes a newsletter. Uh, I don't know if you know Daniel Murray. He, he writes marketing millennials. So he was a good friend of mine. They got picked up by work week. They were also looking for someone to write about social media marketing in particular. And I've been writing, didn't really have an audience at the time, but uh, he made the intro, had a conversation with Adam, the CEO, and they were they picked me up. So that was a really good situation. I actually just went fully independent again. So now Social Files is just me, but was with Workweek for about a year and a half and just writing the newsletter. I was a nice little setup. They did all the ad sales. I just had to create content and do what I do best. But then yeah, now I have the newsletter business back. So still very much in the process of figuring out the business side of that now, but that's the TLDR on that. That's interesting. And then did that spur to where you are now with having the agency? You have Clark Media. You said, okay, now I've got this knowledge. I had this job. I'm writing about it. I'm thinking about it. And how did it come about to you? Like, I'm going to start an agency. Accidental, on purpose, walk me through that process. So I always knew I wanted to do my own thing at some point, but the agency was very much accidental. So I had always been freelancing. So even before I got the triple whale job, I was freelancing for another company in that space. And when I landed that job, I was still freelancing and had success at triple whale, being that it was fairly public and social is a very front facing thing. So people like saw the, the accounts do well, and I started getting some inbound from other companies in that world asking if I had any consulting, if I had time to take on a client or two. And one client turned into two and then three. And then very quickly just found myself in a position where I had this booked out client roster and I still had my full-time gig and I was just working all the time. And there was zero time to take on anything else. Oh, and I had the newsletter too. So I'm just like spread thin to the max. And I was legitimately at capacity. So I was at a crossroads. I was like, do I stay here and just do this and kind of cap myself here? Or do I go off on my own, build this into an, a proper agency and see what I can do there? And being that I always had the inclination of wanting to do my own thing at some point, I think I just thought it would take five years, not a year and a half. It just got to the point where it was sort of obvious to go off on my own and then was solo with some contractor help for the first two-ish months and then started to hire. And now we have a, a nice little team going with the agency. Were you offering one service or were you offering a bunch of services when you went to the agency side? Yeah, so we just offer one service. So LinkedIn and Twitter content for B2B companies, um, like trying to keep it focused one mistake that I see people caution against quite a bit in the business world is like adding too many different things too quickly, like starting too many different companies, adding too many different services. And I was like, I'm just not going to do that. I know I'm really good at this one thing. Let me just see how far we can take this before I need to add in any other complexity. So up until this point, there's been, luckily there's been demand for that service. So we haven't had to diversify. I think at some point I have some ideas of like what we'll expand into, but right now just LinkedIn and Twitter content for B2B companies. Pretty simple. Yeah. And how is, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening right now who are either maybe started their own agency or in a similar position to where you were, where they're working, they're doing some gigs on the side, they've been freelancing. I guess outside of people all through inbound, have you started to go to any outbound? Are you doing lead gen yourself? Like, how are you doing your own marketing now for Clark Media to drive new agency business? Yeah, so there's two main things. The first one has just been referrals. 
we do great work for clients. I feel really confident in that. And fortunately, first through my work at Triple Whale, and then as we started to pick up more clients, one thing that's helped us a lot is we've stayed pretty concentrated in like, we do B2B social, but a lot of the companies we work with, and pretty much all of them are in the Shopify ecosystem. So it's like this subsection of a subsection. It's very, very niche. Like I understand more about that corner of the internet. <laughs> Most people probably should, but that's allowed us to pick up quite a few. And there's a surprising amount of companies in that niche. So we've been able to pick up a good amount of clients uh, just off of word of mouth because we're experts in that very, very specific service for that specific client. So that was the biggest thing early on. And then I haven't tapped into this as much as I probably could, but just my personal brand on social, I think spending the, I mean, it's been like four or five, six years at this point, publishing content online finally has started to pay off and that it's allowed me to create visibility for the agency. Um, so I have, I probably haven't put my foot on the gas as much as I could there just because we've been kind of more head down on dialing in operations, hiring team members, that sort of stuff more than bringing on new business, but referrals and social content, which is great because essentially like we're practicing what we preach. It helps us sell to, to clients, but we haven't done much outbound. I'm not against it. We just really haven't had the need to up until this point. We've been very fortunate to be mostly booked out from day one, essentially. I love it. Yeah, you can you can build such a healthy business really as you you niche down like that. I mean, our agency started, we were helping moving companies, particularly long distance moving companies. Yeah. And it was like, oh, they all work together, they all refer and people are like, "What?" And I'm like, "Hey, moving companies will pay, have their social handled, and we found out how to learn that and then it went from one moving company to five to, oh, now we can like hire and have an office." And then you then we branched out and went and were able to work with you know, more quote unquote dream clients. Yeah. That's a whole other discussion. I think people want to work with dream clients, but the dream client is the client who pays you every month. Dude, the boring companies are the best. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Boring companies are the best. It's great. I think that's something that's uh, kind of like plagues our industry a little bit is this allure of working for whatever, insert top 100 you know, PNG brand or software company or whatever, and being like, oh, it'd be so cool to to go do their social. But then if you get in those environments, you actually realize you're creatively hamstrung because it's like play within this box. Don't ruffle any feathers. Just send it through to legal. Yeah. (laughs) Go, go that way. So that's super interesting. Well, out of this, now you're doing this, you're doing the agency, how you've been a marketer, marketed by trade, worked all these clients. Now you've also got to be an ops person, an accountant, legal, HR. Um, What's it been like in that? Are you overwhelmed? Is it, are you handling it? Are you just offloading it to other people? What's been the strategy with some of those other parts of uh, being an entrepreneur? It depends on the day. Some days I'm like, I got this. Some days I'm like, this is all burning down. It's going to it's gonna be gone tomorrow. When we first launched, I was very hesitant to hire because I thought I was the only person that could do what I do. And like, I know I'm good at what I do, but that was also a very like just untrue assumption. So it held me back. And I found myself very quickly in a position where we were booked out, which was great, but it was just me handling all the client work. And I was going insane. Like, from mid June to early August, probably every other day, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this agency. Like, this is just impossible. And then after listening to a few of my other friends who have started agencies who are a few steps ahead of me, they're like, Tommy, hire someone. Like, you're making this way harder than it needs to be. I finally hired an ops person, hired a head of content. Uh, we just brought on a, an in-house copywriter. So hiring has been a huge help. It's an interesting transition going from marketer to 
CEO, business owner. I think the hardest part for me is letting go a bit of creative control. Not that I want to micromanage, but I, you just have such high standards for what you want to go out uh, and what you want to get sent to a client. And some of it isn't even standard. It's more just personal preference. Like, oh, I would do it this way. But you have to be okay with kind of taking a step back, which that is the part I struggle with the most in the day-to-day still. As far as the ops side, got a killer ops manager in place. So fortunately, haven't had to deal with as much of that stuff lately. Hiring made a massive difference there. And then on the content side as well, like have a A plus head of content. It was funny. I originally had another candidate that was like 95% of the way there. She got a counter and pulled the last second. I was like, damn, that sucks. But then literally the day after, isn't good, but it ended up working out. The guy that we have now got laid off from his old company for not for performance reasons. Um, and I had originally wanted to poach him a while back, but I assumed that he was just happy at his current company. So I didn't say anything. So I was able to land him. But all that said, transitioning into being a business owner, CEO, very difficult. I think I'm starting to get the hang of it, but a ton to learn. Yeah. It's uh, every entrepreneur, agency owner I've ever met, myself included. It's we have that thought, oh, we're the only ones who can do it. But at least for me, what I've realized is mm-hmm. mostly just insecurity and control freakness that is like, oh, letting that go. Okay. The other thing that I found to be really interesting is segmenting my value add to a couple things to be like, there's value add task, value negative task. And everybody says like, hire what you're bad yep. at, right? Do what you're good at. But I think there's this in-between bubble of things that you're okay at and you could you can just do it quickly. So you're like, I should just do it. But it's not really a big lever for the brand and it's like, you're value neutral. So that's been an interesting thing to go, oh, what's value neutral? And like, yeah. what's value neutral in my marketing process? What's Where am I value neutral that I should be delegating having somebody else do that? A very, very interesting exercise to go through even in my own life i feel like maybe where am i value neutral in my household you know running my house so no that's that's awesome though man and i'm excited to you know follow along and and see your journey it's going to be interesting to see and 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 i know you document you put a lot out in social files so for those who want to connect with you online where what's the best place to do so we'll drop those links as well in the show notes page yeah, for sure. I would say on social, LinkedIn and Twitter, most active there. I've sporadically been active on Instagram, but very. it's usually one of those like, I'm going to post for three days and then just fall off. LinkedIn and Twitter daily. So I'm on there all the time if you want to hit me up. And then social files is my newsletter. I post one of those every single week, like a deeper dive into B2B social media strategy. A lot of fun stuff planned there now that I'm independent again. So it's going to be fun. If you want to keep up with that, that would probably be the best place to like learn more of my deeper insights on on social and B2B stuff. Sweet. We'll put links to all those in the show notes. Tommy, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. This is great. Awesome. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.